It's the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. Radio Network. Broadcasting from coast to coast. City to city, coast to coast. It's time for the Ryan Hickey Show on the World Wide Sports Radio Network. If it's happening in sports, it's being talked about right here. And here's your host, Ryan Hickey. Good Monday morning. Welcome into the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It is the Ryan Hickey Show with yours truly right here on this chilly but sunny. So it makes it, you know, makes it bearable for sure Monday morning. We appreciate you starting your week with us right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Because as a reminder, as you can see us, we are live. We are in a studio. And that studio is sponsored by the great people at Big Italy Pizzeria. Now, there are great pizza, hot heroes, and phenomenal dinners. Check out Big Italy Pizzeria if you're in person on Long Island in Medford. Their sister pizzeria shop will say Joe's Pizzeria at Bayshore or online wherever you are. BigItalyPizza.com. I'm very excited for this Monday show. It's really always all right. NFL reaction, a football Monday show for the most part, especially now with baseball obviously wrapping up. With the NBA being done for a while now, it's mostly these Monday shows, especially football, football, and then some more football. And just about halfway through is week number eight, almost about to come in the books. We do have a lot to get into here. Who is the best team in the NFL? I have my answer. I think it's a fairly obvious answer. But I've seen and I've looked at some power rankings this morning. I've kind of seen some tweets and some trends. And I thought my answer at least was consensus, despite the record. The answer is still not what I thought it was. So I'll tell you who I think, at least, the best team in the NFL is. We'll love to hear your, your thoughts, whether it's on Facebook, Worldwide Sports Network, Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, WWSRN underscore radio. Or if you're on Twitter, you can also find me at Ryan Hickey Show, at Ryan Hickey Show. You can tweet me there. Tweet at WWSRN underscore radio. You can write on the Periscope live feed that's through Twitter. And both I've retweeted and is also coming live from the Worldwide Sports Radio Network Twitter account. So you can... Uh, type on Periscope. You can write on Facebook. Um, you can tweet us. Any way you can get on the digital platform um, and get your comments known. We will have them read on the show and get your opinions live right here for the entire world to hear. Um, we'll get into who the best team in the NFL is. Some college football thoughts. Two major ones coming out of the weekend. Michigan's in a tough spot with Jim Harbaugh. Let's tell you what might have to happen at the end, at the end of the year. And Justin Fields, man. Justin Fields starts right now and or I shouldn't say starts. He deserves to be in that number one overall pick when it comes to the NFL draft with Trevor Lawrence. It's been Trevor Lawrence, Trevor Lawrence, Trevor Lawrence when it comes to the number one overall pick, right? Are the Jets going to get him? Is it going to be the Giants? Is it going to be the Vikings? Is it going to be the Jaguars? Right? There's a lot of bad teams in the NFL that want the services of Trevor Lawrence. Justin Fields quietly, quietly is playing his way into that conversation, I'll give you my thoughts at 9.40, just about 40 minutes or half hour or so from now, um, on those thoughts. We have a seasonal, I'm very excited about this, top of the second hour, 10 a.m. Eastern. We have a seasonal treat for you guys. Trick or treat, right? Halloween was just on Saturday. Hopefully, you enjoyed your Halloween, dressed up, got some candy. We went to a party, had some fun. We won a costume contest. But, you know, Halloween doesn't just die on October 31st. I know it's obviously November 2nd. The, the time has come, but... You know what? We're going to keep the Halloween spirit alive Excuse me, just for one more day. Right, it's Christmas. Christmas has basically monopolized the entire fall and winter calendar. We're going to give Halloween its due one more day with an NFL trick or treat version of who's a playoff team or who's a, I should say, excuse me, a playoff contender, treat 
who is just really, you know, the record's there, but they're not going to be in the playoffs at the end. Trek. Top of the second hour, we have, let's see, one, two, seven teams. Let's get into some are tricks, some are treats. As always, at 1020, we do quick hits. We'll go around the NFL, including some great audio of Bill Belichick postgame yesterday. Hint, the Patriots lost, in case you missed it. He was not happy. Salty Bill is one of my favorite people in the NFL. And a fight that, one, I've never seen before on the NFL field, and two, still to this day, people don't realize how to fight in the NFL. Give you my thoughts and at 1040 on the show. Tua Tungavaloa makes his debut. I'll give you my thoughts. Mostly positive. Mostly positive on the Dolphins as they get their first win. But I do want to start here, you know, leader of the show. I do want to start with the game of the day yesterday. And that was the undefeated Steelers, 6-0, going to Baltimore against the 5-1 Baltimore Ravens. And watching this game as Steelers came away with a 28-24 victory, dropping Baltimore out of 5-2. This was a major opportunity missed by the Baltimore Ravens to get their swagger back. Because, again, they're 5-2. and two. They're still a really, really, really good team. They're in that second tier, I'll say, of teams in the NFL. You have, the, obviously, the Super Bowl contenders, the elite of the elite. That second tier, really good playoff teams could make a run. The Ravens are right there. I re- Lamar Jackson didn't automatically, or already, I should say, forget how to play football. But this was an opportunity, watching the Ravens last year, then watching it carry over into this year, they are missing something. It hasn't really felt the same Ravens team this year as it was last year. Now, John Harbaugh kind of realized that. He is not panicking yet. This is John Harbaugh after the game explaining that, sure, they played well. But in the end, the season starts right now after this loss moving forward. We played a lot of really good football. I mean, there's no doubt about it. We played some dominant football times. And it's the time so today. You know, that's, that's, what, that's what games like this are all about. You know, now we're in a situation where we just look at it from the perspective that this is where our season begins, you know, and we go from here. This is where their season begins. And John Harbaugh is both right and wrong. And I'll explain why here. They're, like I said just before, there's been something that's missing. There's not that dominating factor that the Ravens had last year. There's nothing convincing with the way sometimes the Ravens have won these games these past few weeks. Where last year, there's really no doubt. Right? They got off the 2-2 two and two start. But then after that, they rattled off 12 straight victories. They had impressive wins. They were dominant. They were confident. And there was really no questioning how good the Ravens are as a team. This year, that confidence, that swagger, is just not there. It's not the same. And part of the reason why, at least to me, looking at this Ravens team this year, why it's not there is because they haven't gotten it done so far in the big moments. Last year, part of the reason why they were so legitimate so quickly, part of the reason why they had that swagger, really at this point last year, halfway through the season, because they rattled off some impressive victories early on in the year and carried that through the rest of the season. They won early, I believe it was week five last year, at Seattle. They beat the Seahawks in their own home stadium. They beat the Patriots. They smoked the Rams on Monday night in Los Angeles. And then, in the really, maybe the matchup of the year in the regular season, at least last year, they defeated the 49ers in a slop-filled game. But the Seahawks, playoff team. Patriots, playoff team. Rams, obviously, just missed, but on the cusp. And the 49ers went to the Super Bowl. The Ravens beat all of them. So they had that swag. They had that confidence because they know when they played the best, they could go toe-to-toe and win more games than not. And so far, it hasn't been that way. And that's why yesterday was such an important game for the Ravens, and that's why it's such a big missed opportunity. The Ravens were at home. Say what you want about the home field. They're at home. You're not traveling. 
You had some fans in the stands. It's just you have some sort of advantage. It's not neutral. So you're at home. You're coming off a bye. So you're rested and ready to go. You had two weeks of prayer for this game. The Steelers are coming off of a very physical game against the Titans in which they were beat up. They hung on. It was a physical, well-played game. But again, now the Steelers are coming off that, which is on the road last year. So you have back-to-back road games at Tennessee, at Baltimore, two physical, tough opponents. And not to mention, you know, all that working for you. The Ravens, you look at their schedule this year. They have very few opportunities for statement wins. Because, like I said, because they're in that upper echelon of the second tier, right? they're not on the same level as the Chiefs. They're not on the same level as the Steelers after yesterday's loss. But they're right there. They're with Tennessee. They're with, I'm hesitant to put the Colts in there, but they're in that same category of really good teams, have a blueprint and opportunity to beat the best, but are not that same level as the Chiefs and the Steelers right now consistently. So because they're so good, there's that many opportunities for statement wins on your schedule when it comes to the Ravens this year. They've had, they have really four opportunities. They played the Chiefs on Monday Night Football, struggled, and lost. You played the Steelers yesterday at home, and you lost. Those are half of the opportunities to get your swagger back gone. They have, two, they have two, in my mind, two opportunities left in their schedule to get a statement win, get some good momentum going, going forward, and kind of try to regain that confidence that they had last year. They play the Titans in two weeks, or I should say in three weeks, excuse me, on November 22nd. Then that Thursday, four days later, they go on the road to Pittsburgh to take on the Steelers. That's it. There's no other game on their schedule left. When you look at that matchup and say, you know what? If the Ravens win that game, that's an impressive win. That's a confidence-building win. That's when where you look at it and say, you know what? This is a team that actually could get it done. Maybe they can go back to their 2019 form, and they impress you, and you have them feeling good. Because with the Ravens, yeah, we're not questioning if they're a good team. They are a good team. The biggest question is, can the Ravens get it done in the big moment? So far, the answer has been no. Lamar Jackson obviously bursts onto the scene in 2018, takes over Joe Flacco, leads the team to the playoffs. They have a disappointing home loss to the Chargers. They bounce back. Lamar retools, wins an MVP. And like I talked about, the Ravens had that swagger. They, they mirrored to me last year the Ravens that the 2015 Panthers had. When the Panthers went 15-1, breezed through the regular season, breezed through the playoffs, and then for them fell short in the, in the Super Bowl against the Broncos. Those two teams are very similar and not in a good way. When things are going well, things are really going well. They got their confidence rolling. They're feeling good. They are, they are boisterous. They will rub your nose in it when they are beating you. But what the Ravens, what the, what the Panthers were in 2015, and what the Ravens are starting to look like to me, is that they are the schoolyard bullies. The Ravens are the one that will walk around the schoolyard, let their presence be known, Talk about how strong they are. Talk about how tough they are. Talk about how good they are. When they play inferior teams or average teams, they'll beat them up. They'll let them know they're beating them up. But as soon as someone punches them in the face, as soon as as someone stands up to that schoolyard bully, doesn't take the crap, and fights back, what do we know about bullies? More times than not, they run away. If you push back, if you fight back, if you punch back, more times than not, the bully backs down. He, doesn't, he leaves you alone after that. That's what I'm concerned about, and that's what I'm starting to see with this Ravens team. Because last year, again, they had that confidence flowing. They're on a roll. 
So they were able to beat some good teams. No one really was able to punch back. We saw the Titans in the playoffs go into Baltimore and punch them in the mouth. Punch them, flat out punch them in the mouth. Dominate them. They were physical from the jump. Obviously, we know Derrick Henry's stiff arm on Earl Thomas is still getting replayed. And the Ravens so far through eight game or seven games because they had a bye, seven games does not look like they've recovered from that loss. That loss in the playoffs to the Titans looks like it is carried over into 2020. Because I think they know it. I think the rest of the NFL knows it. If you punch the Ravens back, if you stand up to yourself, if you're not intimidated, you can beat them. You can get in their head. The Chiefs look like they're in the Ravens' head because the Chiefs have been have beaten Lamar Jackson, this Ravens team, now three times in a row. Now, again, you look at what the blueprint Tennessee has put out there. Pittsburgh's not intimidated. They're a tough team. They're 0-2 so far this year, the Ravens are, against the better teams, against teams they should be on the same level as. I'm starting to think that now the Ravens got punched in the mouth. They didn't like it. And now they're starting to recoil. They're starting to leave people alone. They're not as intimidating as they seemed last year when the MVP of the league was running over every defense. When that defense, because they get an early lead from Lamar Jackson and that Ravens offense, would play with their ears pinned back, get after the quarterback, play tough, not give up the big play. Now you look this year. The biggest difference between 2019 and 2020, on the field-wise, stats-wise, I think it is confidence, but also with that confidence, too. You look at the passing offense. Last year, the Ravens had the most efficient offense in the NFL. Number one in passing efficiency, number one in rushing efficiency. This year, one year later, with not much changing on the offensive line, running backs, and receivers, they are 19th in offensive efficiency, and they are 21st in passing efficiency. Look at the common theme in the two losses versus the Chiefs and yesterday versus the Steelers, both at home, mind you. Against the Chiefs on Monday Night Football, Lamar Jackson, 97 passing yards, touchdown and a fumble. Steelers, he had 200 passing, 208 passing yards, excuse me, two touchdowns. He had four, tur- four total turnovers, easy for me to say. Two interceptions, both were mind-numbing. One was a pick six. Another one he floated out there was just a terrible read and a bad throw. Two fumbles, including one in the red zone. To his credit, Lamar Jackson did talk about after the game that he, he needs to clean up his turnovers in order to give this team a chance of victory. The turnovers, I feel, is the reason um, we lost the game. I put that on me. Um, the start of the game, the first drive, I pick six. Then we drive to the red zone, a fumble. Uh, I got to get the ball I could because we know they're dominant up front. Uh, and then the pick um, off, the, off the player from the flat, throwing at the mark. Got to clean those up, and I feel we won that game. And he's right. You're not being the Steelers when you turn the ball over four times. But part of Lamar Jackson's struggles, offensively, especially throwing the ball, to me, is that his confidence is just not the same. I really do think that Titans loss now is becoming more and more prevalent or more and more relevant, I should say, in carrying over into 2020. Because Lamar doesn't look as confident throwing the ball. His Ravens offense doesn't look as confident trying to put points up and down the field when they play good teams. And his Ravens team overall is lacking that confidence, lacking that swagger that was so key to their success last year. So the Ravens are going to make the playoffs. 
I'm not concerned about them bottoming out. They have an incredibly great coaching staff that has a ton of stability. They have an insane roster. So it's not time to wave the white flag and panic if you're the Ravens just yet. But I'm starting to get concerned. I'm not fully there yet, but I'm starting to get concerned about the Ravens being legitimate Super Bowl contenders. I'm starting to get concerned that if this Ravens team, the way it's constructed right now, will be able to get to a Super Bowl. Because forget just getting over the Chiefs, getting past the Chiefs, getting to the Super Bowl. Right now, the Ravens aren't even the biggest threat to the Chiefs. They're not even on the same level as Kansas City, as Pittsburgh. So I'm curious your thoughts. Watching that game yesterday, right, game of the day, are you concerned about the Ravens? Is there any way they can get their swagger back at all? Because to me, that's one of the biggest areas that's missing from this team. The confidence is lacking. It's what was so key for them last year with all their success. I think that's the one key area, and that to me is trickling into the offense, into the defense. While the Ravens so far are struggling out of the gate so far through seven games. So I'm curious your thoughts. Can the Ravens get their swagger back? Are you concerned at all? What's your concern level for Baltimore? They're 5-2. and two. Again, they have the MVP, the reigning MVP as, at quarterback. A little bit banged up. Offensive line took, obviously, a big hit with Ronnie Stanley out. I'm curious your thoughts watching the Ravens. What's your concern level? We'll get your thoughts on Facebook, Worldwide Sports Network, Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, Periscope, YouTube, Facebook. Write your comments. We'll get them right on the show when we come back. We're halfway through the season, right? Week 8 is about to be in the books later tonight. Who is the best team in the NFL basically halfway through the season? I'll tell you who I think next. It's the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And we are back here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network on this Monday morning. Hopefully a gorgeous Monday morning wherever you are. Hopefully we're starting your week off on a good note. Now that's always the goal here on Mondays. It's always a, it's always a tough, tough task. Right? No one really likes Mondays, especially coming off a of Daylight Savings Monday where, sure, you get the extra hour of sleep. That's always great. Not complaining about that. But it is depressing, I can't lie, when the sun goes down at, what, 5 o'clock? Yesterday, I got into work at 8.30. I didn't leave until 6.00. And it's just, I didn't even think about it until basically halfway through my shift. It's just depressing when it's like, wow. I walked in at 8.30. I won't see the sunlight again until I wake up the next day. Depressing. But hey, thank, thankfully those farmers, you know, because we are in the 21st century. And the only way they can keep on working is if we give them an extra hour of daylight by rolling the clocks back. But hey, I'm no expert. I'm no expert. So that is, we'll get back to the sports here. What is your concern level for the Baltimore Ravens, watching them fall at home to the Pittsburgh Steelers, 28-24. to 5-2 on the year, so the record's still good. But they play another really good elite team. Second time they played a team, right? They played the Chiefs earlier this year. Lose both. And this is a team the Ravens that were winning these games last year. Now they are losing them. Um, so I'm curious your concern level. Because I am starting to get pretty concerned. I'm not off the, the total Ravens bandwagon just yet. Because, again, when you have that much talent at Lamar Jackson and this offense, and a lot of the pieces are still the same, you trade, you know, for Unique Ngakwe, um, a defense pair with Clays Campbell, the defense, especially the defensive line, is a lot better than it was last year. There's still a lot of good pieces there where the Ravens were a really good team. But I'm really concerned about their confidence or lack thereof, I should say, um, this year compared to last year. And I think that's having an effect on 
the passing offense because it's not as efficient and it's not as potent as it was last year. And that's leading to the Ravens falling short in these big games. So Facebook, Worldwide Sports Radio Network, Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio. Add Ryan Hickey Show also on Twitter as well if you want to tweet me your thoughts. Are you concerned about the Ravens? What is your concern level about the Ravens? And can they get their swagger back before they hit the playoffs? We'll get those thoughts throughout the rest of the show for the next hour and a half or so until 11 a.m. Eastern. But I do want to ask you this question, too, because coming off that game, right? Now the Steelers go to 7-0 on the season. They're the only undefeated team left in the NFL. We're eight weeks through. So either if you had a bye week, you played seven games. If you didn't have a bye week, obviously you play eight games. So I want to ask you this question. Who is the best team in the NFL right now? I think there's a few teams that could honestly make this argument and it wouldn't be outlandish. The Steelers, like I just said, they're 7-0. They're the only undefeated team left in the NFL. They just have impressive back-to-back victories over the Titans and the Ravens. No doubting Pittsburgh in their um, and their talent and what they've doing, uh, what they've done this year. It's not a, you know, it's not a credit to a weak schedule or smoke and mirrors per se. This is a legitimately good team. So they're seven and zero. The Chiefs seven and one, right? They smoked the Ravens on on Monday Night Football. They had a few close calls. They squeaked by the Chargers. They squeaked by the Bills. They played an ugly game against the Patriots without Cam Newton. And obviously they lose at home to the Raiders for their one loss when their defense got toasted. The Seahawks. Speaking of defense, their defense stinks, although it played a lot better yesterday. But their offense, led by Russell Wilson, he's the MVP through eight weeks so far, playing out of his mind, playing phenomenal. This Seahawks offense is the most lethal and potent offense in the NFL. And a team playing tonight, they have the most losses at two. They're five and two, so they have the worst record, at least of the four teams that I'm including here in this category. But they are playing some of their best football right now. They are coming and rounding into form. Tom Brady is playing really, really, really well. They go a lot better than anyone expected at this point in the season. Right? The, the chemistry that he's gotten with Mike Evans, with Chris Godwin, with Scotty Miller, with Gronk, despite the fact that all of them have been in and out of lineup with injuries this year. He's throwing the ball downfield. He looks comfortable in Bruce Arians' system. He's not getting killed, because that was another thought. Can the top of the line protect long enough to give Tom time to throw the ball deep? And their defense. They're the best, most well-rounded, I'll say, team in the NFL. They have a great defense and a great offense. I think their offense is better than the Steelers right now. The Steelers have a better defense. But well-rounded, all three phases. I think the, the Buccaneers can proudly say they are the most well-rounded team in the NFL right now as they look to go to 6-0, uh, excuse, 6-2 excuse me, later on tonight when they play the Giants on Monday Night Football. So I'm asking you, I'm curious your thoughts. Steelers, Chiefs, Seahawks, Buccaneers. You have arguments for all four. I don't think any of the four Atlantis say this is the best team in the NFL. Peter King, a very well-respected NFL reporter, right? Long-time uh, NFL reporter. Very respected, very informed, well-opinionated, smart um, NFL mind. He had my team that I'm about to say is the, is the best NFL um, team right now, third. He had Pittsburgh, Tampa and then the Chiefs. To me, the answer is still the Chiefs. The answer is still Kansas City. By far and away, to me, the Chiefs are still the best team in the NFL. few reasons. One, I'm rolling with the best player in the NFL. I understand Russell Wilson this year is having the better year statistically, right? There's no arguing what Russell Wilson's doing. This year, Russell Wilson's the better player. But overall, Patrick Holmes is a better player throughout, you know, career-wise. They're not, you know, not just accomplishments. Obviously, Russell Wilson's been around a lot longer. The numbers are better. 
If you're telling me right now, start a team, which quarterback are you taking? I'm taking Patrick Mahomes. And the fact that I'm about to reach his stat line right now, I honestly didn't even realize his stats are this impressive because they're overshadowed by Russell Wilson's incredible play, his beautiful deep balls, his insane, mind-blowing stats. But Russell, I mean, excuse me, Patrick Mahomes so far this year has thrown 21 touchdowns to just one interception. A 21-to-1 touchdown-interception ratio. And again, I think we're not talking about Patrick Holmes a lot because, one, it's kind of all tad, right? As we've seen with society, as we've really seen, really in the sports world especially, we love as fans building guys up. Patrick Holmes in 2018 bursts onto the scene. The Chiefs are playing great. He leads them to the AFC title game. Falls short. Wins the MVP that year. Next year, oh, can Patrick Holmes get them over the hump? Can the Chiefs finally win a Super Bowl? Boom. Does win the MVP, gets hurt. Numbers aren't as dazzling as they were in 2018 when he threw 50 touchdowns, wins the Super Bowl. So now, I feel like it's not that we're over the Chiefs per se, but it's kind of like, all right, he won the MVP. He won the Super Bowl MVP. He just got a massive contract. Like, What else does Patrick Mahomes have to do in order to impress us, in order to wow us on a weekly basis, on a yearly basis? So now our attention turns to Russell Wilson. Because Russell Wilson's been really, really, really good. But for Russell Wilson's career, he's only gotten better as his career has gone on. And now he's at that peak right now. He has never played any better football than he is right now so far through seven games. And that's where, that's where our eyes are going. That's where the attention's going. Russell Wilson has played also. It helped that he's played more primetime games. So we see him a lot more. And he continues to put on a show, a total show, when he's out there. So we may forget about Patrick Mahomes, but I'm not. He's the reason why I'm rolling with the Steelers, uh, rolling with the Chiefs, number one. Number two, outside of just the quarterback position, the Chiefs to me are too deep offensively to slow down on a weekly basis or once we get to the playoffs. Think about it. I, I know everyone knows their weapons, but I'm going to run through it again in case anyone's forgotten because, again, I don't know how any defense, especially Pittsburgh's, Tampa Bay's, Baltimore's any any defense out there. I don't know how any defense slows this team down. So you have Tyreek Hill, right? Obviously a massive deep threat. Speedster. Get on the ball in space. Good luck trying to track him down. Deep ball, he's great at catching those. So you want to take Tyreek Hill away? No problem. Boom, they have Travis Kelsey. If not the best, one of the best tight ends in the game right now. Incredibly athletic, strong. He's a, mis- he's a walking mismatch, right? He's similar to Gronk when Gronk is his heyday. You want to put a safety on him, he'll overpower him. You want to put a linebacker on him, he'll run by him. You want to put a corner on him, he's too big to slow down. There's no real good matchup to slow down Travis Kelsey. You want to take those two and you have another speedster, Mecole Hardman, who you blink and he's already 50 yards down the field. And with Patrick Holmes' arm strength, he'll throw it up. Hardman will run underneath it. Clyde Edwards-Alaire, to do everything back, right? You want to hand the ball off to him? He's tough to tackle. Throw the ball in space. Good luck trying to tackle him one-on-one. If he hits a rookie wall, because again, he's young, it's tough to put a lot of that responsibility, a lot of those carries on a rookie player. No problem. Here's Le'Veon Bell to come and spell him. Same sort of skill set, a veteran player. Maybe not the same player he was in Pittsburgh in 2016, 2017. But he also, he doesn't have to be. Instead of having 20, 25 touches a game, he'll go 10 or 15. He'll be fresh. He's explosive. He's great at catching the ball in the backfield. He complements what Clyde Edwards-Alaire can do 
very well. That's a tough, tough one-two punch to slow down. And then you slow all those guys down, right? You slow Tyree Kill down. You slow Travis Kelsey down. You somehow keep Miko Harbin in front of you. You contain uh, Clyde edwards Delay. You contain Le'Veon Bell. Oh, yeah. Here's Sammy Watkins. Form number one overall pick as a third or fourth option, depending on the play. It's just too much talent. So you look at the Steelers. Their defense is incredible, right? No argument there. One of the best defenses in all the NFL. It's too many weapons for them to slow down. And here's a really scary fact when you look at this Chiefs offense. We know, I just mentioned all these threats they have mostly in the passing game. Let's not forget, the Chiefs have been able to run the ball and run the ball successfully this year because teams are so concerned with slowing down Patrick Holmes, not having the deep ball beat them, not having the explosive play beat them. They're playing back and back and back, giving the Chiefs the run, and guess what? The Chiefs are taking it, and they're successful with it. They're 11th in rushing efficiency, 9th in the NFL in total rushing yards. So they are a borderline, depending on the metric, top 10 rushing offense. So you can run the ball with success, establish the run, and you have Patrick Holmes playing off of that? I'm sorry. There's not any team. Buccaneers, Steelers, Ravens. There's not a defense out there that is good enough for 60 minutes to slow them down. And we'll go to the defensive side of the ball for the third and final reason. Obviously, look, they're not as well-rounded as the Buccaneers. They're not as well-rounded as the Steelers where their defense is close to the level that their offense is on. No, not close. What they are good at is the pass, though. Fifth most efficient, excuse me, pass defense in the NFL. They won't get beat over the top. They'll keep everything in front of them. And they make it tough sledding for you to throw the ball at them. The rush defense, similar to what it was last year, is a mess. It's atrocious. But in the biggest game so far this year, they held the Ravens in that explosive offense of 20 points on the road in Baltimore on Monday Night Football. Josh Allen in the MVP conversation, lighting it up against a few defenses, hold the Bills to 17 points. I understand it was raining. It was a different sort of game there. But that was a high-flying Bills offense for most of the season until that game. So sure, the Chiefs, they don't have the best record, right? They're not undefeated. They don't have the most dazzling player this year because that's a um, a mark or a, a designation, I should say, excuse me, that Russell Wilson has. But let's not forget, this team is, is a team that is largely constructed similar to the team that won the Super Bowl last year. They are still the best team in the NFL. And until they maybe lose four straight, get knocked out of the playoffs, I'm rolling with the Chiefs the rest of the year. There's really not much that will change my thinking. Again, unless Patrick Holmes gets hurt. This offense is decimated by injuries. Andy Reid somehow forgets to call plays. There's not much that really the Chiefs can do between now and the end of the season that have me doubting that they are the best team in the NFL. Like I said, not everyone agrees, which is good. I love hearing different opinions. Peter King is the Chiefs third in his power rankings halfway through the year with the Steelers one and the Buccaneers two. Like I said, I, I don't think there's – we're splitting hairs between the Steelers, Chiefs, Seahawks, and Buccaneers. To me, those are the four by far best teams in the NFL. I'm rolling with the Chiefs. I'm curious your thoughts. Who is the best team in the NFL right now? Facebook, Worldwide Sports Network. Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio. At Ryan Hickey Show, also on Twitter. You can write on Periscope. You can write on Facebook. 
who is the best team in the NFL? We'll get your thoughts, and when we come back, I want to hit sprinkles and get in some college football here. We'll stick at the Big Ten because, I think again, two of the, the biggest performances, two of the biggest head-scratching, interesting performances coming out of this weekend were both in the Big Ten. And I'll tell you what, Justin Fields, he deserves to be on that Trevor Lawrence level. I'll explain what that means next. It is the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome on back into the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Here till 11 a.m. Eastern on this Monday, as we are every Monday and every Thursday. Hopefully keeping you company as you start your day at work, but you're waking up. However you make us part of your morning, we do appreciate it. We always love being a part of your morning right here, especially on Mondays. Hopefully get your week off started on the right note. And hopefully guide you into the weekend on a good note as well on Thursdays. So we're talking about who is the best team in the NFL right now? Who deserves that title? For me, I think it's the Chiefs. Still no doubt at all about it. The Chiefs are still, in my mind, the best team in the NFL. Not everyone agrees again. A great, great NFL reporter, NFL mind, and Peter King as the Chiefs third. Has the Steelers as the best team in the NFL. They are the only undefeated team left in the NFL. So I'm curious because I think there, there's four teams. Steelers, Chiefs, Seahawks, Buccaneers. All, all elite. All very good offensively. Some better than others defensively. But I think all four of those teams really have an argument to be the best team in the NFL and deserve that title right now. To me, though, I'm sticking with the Chiefs. And I'm rolling with Kansas City. So I'm curious your thoughts. Facebook, Worldwide Sports Network, Twitter, WWSR, right underscore radio, at Ryan Hickey Show. Also on Twitter, if you want to tweet us, right on Periscope, right on Facebook, wherever you want to comment, wherever you're listening, we appreciate it. Feel free to give your thoughts there and read them on the air before we get out of here again at 11 a.m. Eastern. 1020, as always, we have quick hits. We'll talk about Tua's debut at 1040. And I'm very excited for the top of the hour. NFL trick or treat version of playoff contenders. Which team's a legitimate playoff contender? Treat. Which team is smoke and mirrors? The record looks good. Maybe they're in the playoff conversation right now, but by the end of the year, they'll fizzle out. They won't be in the playoffs. They'll miss out. They're a trick. Give you my thoughts again. Uh, 15 minutes or so at the top of the second hour, 10 a.m. Eastern. And you want to get some college football here. Because I think two massive, massive revelations came out of this college football weekend. Both come out of the Big Ten, and we'll preview... Obviously, you know, one of the games that we're not going to get into right now is at least Clemson squeaky by Boston College. I want to kind of dive into that Clemson-Notre Dame game more on Thursday as a, as a preview because Clemson, if you missed it, will not be without, uh, will be without, excuse me, Trevor Lawrence for that game as well. Still in the COVID testing protocols. Seems like so far everything is going well, that he's feeling well um, and healthy, which is good. Obviously, he's good, but the protocols that are set in place will not, um, Trevor Lawrence will not complete quick enough to be on the field this upcoming Saturday night in South Bend. So we'll get to that game more on Thursday. But I want to kind of hit on two different things that I saw this past Saturday that one is interesting with Michigan and one is just flat-out awe from Joseph Fields. I want to get to him first. Because, obviously, you know, the NFL draft's coming soon. We've kind of been looking towards this draft because since Trevor Lawrence burst onto the scene as a freshman two years ago at Clemson, since he won the national title, beating Alabama, 
as Clemson ran through his freshman year, just dominated everyone they played. This was a guy I looked at. All right, when he's a junior, he comes out, he's going to be one of those transcendent, generational quarterbacks that any team that gets the number one pick will be lucky to have. You hope he's a Peyton Manning sort of quarterback. You know, one of those guys you draft, maybe Dan Marino-esque, you bring him in, and just transforms the organization. Now, this is what I'm about to say is not a knock on Trevor Lawrence. It's not saying he's bad or he's done anything that's not deserving of the number one overall pick. This is more a compliment and a credit to Justin Fields, what he's done. Because watching him play last year at Ohio State, dominate again. Buckeyes go undefeated through the Big Ten schedule. Lose a heartbreaker, heartbreaker to Clemson in the playoff game. One of the best playoff games we've had since the college football playoff was instituted. And now seeing what he's done through two games this year. Justin Fields deserves to be in that number one overall pick discussion. When it comes to the NFL draft coming up. He deserves to be in that conversation. Whatever team. we Probably going to be the Jets. Right. It's, it would be a shock. I'll say it. it would be a shock if it's not the Jets. With the number one overall pick. I think they have to have a serious discussion. Do their real due diligence. And say you know what. Would Justin Fields be a better fit for this team. Than Trevor Lawrence. So I'll, I'll ask you this question. I'll phrase it this way first. What more does Justin Fields have to do to get that recognition? This season, through two games, he has completed 48 of 55 passes, seven incompletions, for 594 yards, six touchdowns, zero interceptions. He has seven incompletions and six touchdowns so far. His career at Ohio State, right, last year and now two games this year, so 16 total games. Shy just below 70%. He is at 69.9 completion percentage. Has thrown for 3,867 yards. 51. 51 touchdowns to just three interceptions. 51 touchdowns to three interceptions in 16 games. That's Patrick Mahomes-esque numbers. That's MVP-type numbers because it's a 16-game sample size right there. So think about that. 70% completion percentage. Just under 3,900 yards passing, 51 touchdowns to three interceptions. When you look at him play, and obviously I got a nice look, an up-close look this past weekend as a Penn State fan, watching Justin Fields carve up that Penn State secondary, carve up that Penn State defense. There's really no weaknesses in his game. He's great at reading the field. He'll go from read number one to number two to number three. He doesn't force it. He doesn't lock in on one guy and hope he's open. He will throw to the open guy, which, especially in college, is not a foregone conclusion. It's not something you see a lot of. It's why Joe Burrow was so impressive and so deadly at LSU last year. Because he went from one to two to three to four. He wasn't rushing. He, he trusted his protection. And he knew what he was looking for. Justin Fields has that same sort of eye discipline when it comes to reading the field. Tremendous accuracy. He can put the ball anywhere he wants. Over the shoulder. Leading the receiver away from the defender. There's not many throws that get away from Justin Fields. There's not many throws where you look at it and say, oh man, he totally missed a wide open guy or threw it behind him and led to an interception. Tremendous accuracy. Obviously, he's mobile. Right? Which is what you need. Now, as you see, the mobile quarterback being able to get out of the pocket, create plays with their feet is more important and becoming a big factor in the NFL. Speaking of being mobile, not only is he mobile, he's great at throwing on the run. Again, the same thing. He's rolling out. He's throwing accurate passes. 
leading receivers away from defenders, throwing dimes, putting it only where the receiver can catch the ball, even when there's great coverage. Because there's a few throws he made on Saturday night specifically where the receiver was covered, and he made a great throw, put it only where the receiver could get it, and they made a play for him. Great, great deep ball. So he has the accuracy there. He make any really, he can make any throw. Throw deep, short, intermediate, wide, sideline. He can do it all. And he's, again, smart with the football. Three interceptions. Throwing 51 touchdowns to three interceptions. He'll open it up. He'll sling the ball around the field. But he'll do it smartly. So again, when we look at the NFL draft, when we talk about who should be, or really not who's going to take the number one overall pick, it's going to be Trevor Lawrence, but who is going to be the team to be able to draft Trevor Lawrence? I think Justin Fields deserves a legitimate thought and legitimate uh, consideration to be taken number one overall. I really do. Again, it's not a knock on Trevor Lawrence. It's not saying that he has done something that doesn't deserve him being the number one overall pick. I totally agree that Trevor Lawrence is one of those generational kind of guys that could transform an organization if he goes to the right spot and they put at least some semblance of a team around him. He can really elevate a team. But why can't Justin Fields do the same thing? Like part of part of the reason why Trevor Lawrence is so popular right away is because he did it as a true freshman. Came right in on the biggest stage when we all watched him, and he had success. Justin Fields then had that because he's at Georgia behind Jake Fromm. Kirby Smart didn't really use him the right way. And it was a weird first year at Georgia. Comes to Ohio State and just totally lit it up. From day one with Ryan Day, has fit in and has dominated. So sure, Trevor Lawrence has a little bit better track record. He's an extra year under his belt. So a little more tape out there. He did it as a true freshman. We're always impressed by that. But I'm telling you, don't sleep on Justin Fields. This dude's legit. And if you have the number one pick, if you're the Jets, you could end up taking Trevor Lawrence. But there has to be some serious consideration. Don't just roll your eyes. Don't just scoff or don't even just not even really address Justin Fields. Look at him. Because this is he d- deserves, he honestly deserves that consideration, the thought, and to be included in the conversation when it comes to being the top pick in the NFL draft for 2021. That was... Something to watch. If it was against Penn State, I would have enjoyed it a lot more. But he is just on another level. He really is. Who? So we'll go from we'll go from elite, great player, to underachieving team, and that is, of course, in the Big Ten, the Michigan Wolverines. Classic, classic, classic Michigan. On the road, big spot against the ranked team. I thought they were going to lose to Minnesota. Although this is a big spot where, you know what, Michigan really could have a down year this year. They smoked the Gophers. Smoke them. Maybe Minnesota's a little overrated, as we're seeing. Now they're 0-2. They lose to Maryland on the road, and Maryland is a very bad football team. But, you know, Michigan gets some love. Joe Milton looks good. They're running the ball really well. This offense, for the first time really in the, in the Jim Harbaugh era, actually looks exciting. Actually looks like, you know what, this actually looks like a 2020 offense. This looks like a fast, put the ball in space, make defenses um, be unable to tackle you, put them in bad spots. They look like they have really come around and are embracing the spread offense and actually have the quarterback to do so in Joe Milton. But, of course, as you know that Jim Harbaugh does, as you know that Michigan does, they fall flat on their face yet again, 
lose the game they should not lose. This time to in-state rival Michigan State, who, who, not only is Michigan State coming into a, a different year, right? Mark Dan, uh, Mike, excuse me, Mark D'Antoni, D'Antonio, um, retires late in a weird sort of come out of nowhere. He's not going to retire. He's out recruiting. Then one day he wakes up and says, you know, I'm going to retire. I'm out of here. And he's gone. They hire Mel Tucker very late in the process. There's no spring practice. He doesn't get really any chance to recruit his guys for this season. They open the year not only losing to Rutgers at home. They got smoked by Rutgers. Rutgers looked like a team that was actually competent. Rutgers looked like a team that actually had success the past few years and not Michigan State. So they were embarrassed in Mel Tucker's first game as head coach of the Spartans. And they go into Michigan Stadium against a Michigan team that's feeling good, have momentum, having some people think maybe, maybe this could be the year that they finally clip Ohio State, get Jim Harbaugh that victory over the Buckeyes. And before you even have a chance to get the hype machine going, before you even have a chance if you're Michigan to start daydreaming ahead, seven games ahead, oh, man, wow, this, this maybe could be our year. Maybe we'll go into the shoe and shock the world. They fall to Michigan State at home 27-24. Jim Harbaugh, since he's been there in 2015, at home, strictly at home, is 1-6 versus Michigan State and Ohio State. One in six versus his two biggest rivals at home in the big house. So this puts Michigan in a very tough spot. Because I've said this before last year when Michigan got smoked again by Ohio State that to me it's not all Jim Harbaugh's fault that they continue to underachieve. I think this goes even past Jim Harbaugh. This is an entire Michigan problem. So he's not the sole reason. I mean, think about what Jim Harbaugh has done so far since he got to Michigan. He came in in 2015. He's taken Michigan back to almost the Lloyd Carr era of success. Like you look at whether it's Rich Rodriguez, whether it's Brady Hoke, Michigan was a laughing stock. Like they had one one good year here and there, but they were routinely seven and six, eight and five, never really a, a big threat or contender, losing games they should not be losing to some bad teams. Some bad teams in the Big Ten. So Harbaugh at least has brought them back into, into contention. They were inches away from beating Ohio State in 2016, going to Indianapolis, and maybe getting to the playoff. They were favored two years later in the, in the horseshoe against Ohio State before they got their doors blown off. So Harbaugh has brought them to a level of success they haven't reached in a while. But with that said, Jim Harbaugh has seemed to really reach his plateau here in Michigan. I don't think he can really elevate this team, this program, any more than he has already. I think Michigan is perpetually stuck, for the most part, in this contender, good enough to maybe make a run every one in five years sort of thing, but need to break, need everything to break right. But other than that, they'll kind of fall back and be an average, you know, nine and three team, lose to the good teams on their schedule, beat the bad teams, but never really a big threat in the Big Ten, never really a big threat for the playoff, never that dominant. Michigan program that they were in their storied history. So this is what I'm saying. This is a tough spot because I don't really know what Michigan does. It's tough to fire a legend that Jim Harbaugh is as a player and all the hype he has as a coach coming in. 
it's tough to fire a guy that that's he's a Michigan man, right? That's the kept the one thing we kept here when Michigan hired him. He's a Michigan man. We need a Michigan man to lead this team. Well, you got your Michigan man, and guess what? He's not doing too much to elevate this team to be a playoff team. I think the move here might be Jim Harbaugh leaving on his own, going back to the NFL. Whether it's the Jets, whether it's the Lions, whether it's another team that's in the market for a new head coach, in the market for a culture changer, where Jim Harbaugh is a polarizing guy, but he'll take control of the team and have it be his team. If you're a team in flux like the Jets, he at least will steady the ship enough to give you a chance. I think that might be the move, because I'm not sure really Michigan can fire Jim Harbaugh. But as you've seen, this is going to be the norm for as long as Jim Harbaugh is in Ann Arbor. They will consistently be inconsistent. They'll win a few games they shouldn't be winning, get you hyped up, get you excited if you're a Michigan fan, and then lose games like this to Michigan State where you have no, no business losing. No business losing. So I'm curious your thoughts. What should Michigan do with Jim Harbaugh? Can they fire him? Should they fire him? And Justin Fields, is it, does he deserve, is it time for him to be considered in that Trevor Lawrence category for the number one overall pick when it comes to the NFL draft? I say yes. I'm curious your thoughts. Facebook, Worldwide Sports Network, Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio. At Ryan Hickey Show also on Twitter. I know we got a few Jets fans out there. I would love to hear your thoughts, Jets fans. Again, the Jets are going to have the number one overall pick. It's been Trevor Lawrence, Trevor Lawrence, Trevor Lawrence, really since the season started. Watching Justin Fields, watching his career at Ohio State, I'm curious, has your thoughts changed at all? Would you entertain the thought of Justin Fields being your quarterback this time next year? So get your thoughts when we come back. It's the Halloween Halloween version. Halloween. I think I just combined Halloween and version into one. The Halloween version. Trick or treat. Are these teams playoff contenders? Treats? Or are they frauds? tricks. Tell you what teams I think are treats, what team I think are tricks when the Ryan Hickey Show returns right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show. Right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. As a reminder, coming to you live from the Big Italy Pizzeria Studios, whether it's great pizza, hot heroes, and phenomenal dinners, check out Big Italy Pizzeria in person in Medford, Joe's Pizzeria in Bayshore, or online wherever you are at BigItalyPizza.com. Hope you had a great Halloween. Hope it was enjoyable. If you dressed up as a costume, you, uh, you won a costume contest. I'll be honest. I'm not, I am not a big Halloween guy at all. And it's all just self-imposed, self-inflicted because I never really know. I feel like being 26, not having a family, right? So it's, I feel like I'm in a tough spot when it comes to costumes. Like obviously people have parties, people have costume parties. I always kind of stress out about what it, where's the line, I guess, basically in terms of going all in or all out. Uh, like, do you, do you really dive into a costume, take hours, spend hundreds of dollars to really make it authentic? Or do you just kind of just, you know, put on a, 
cat ears or put on a mustache or something like that. Or just put on a sign and make it really easy. I always kind of always struggle with which way to go. And now that, and that's honestly the reason why I just I just I always like stress. To me, Halloween is a very stressful holiday. Thanksgiving. Well, that's a, another discussion. I'm not a biggest fan of Thanksgiving food, but Thanksgiving you go eat, right? It's easy. Christmas you get presents. Sure, and that's obviously a stressful thing, but if you know the person you're getting presents for, it should be easier. And it's more, it should be, it should be at least in the spirit of things, should be more about the gesture than actually the gift. But Halloween, I feel like there's always, personally, for me at least, that kind of, ah, do I want to go all out here? Do I just play cool? I don't want to, because I don't want to be the guy that shows up to the party, hours worked on costume, makeup all over the place, like, hundreds of dollars down the drain buying all these props and trying to make the costume as real and lifelike as possible and you show up to the party and people are just casually taking it you know eh, you know i'll put on a cat ears i'll put on a mustache you know maybe i'll try to like put some things on my closet but i'm not going all i'm not going crazy and then it's like you're the guy that just went all out on halloween and no one else's or vice versa you show up with a half-assed costume while everyone else went all out and just so personally because my self-confidence is never that high. I'm always self-conscious. I'm like, oh, Halloween is never really the, uh, the it's more of a stress-inducing than anything else. So, safe to say, I did not dress up for Halloween this year. I instead watched Penn State just get smoked by Ohio State on Halloween. That's how I spent my, my Halloween uh, night, per se. But hopefully, if you enjoyed, you know, wherever you did, dressed up or not, you enjoyed your Halloween. I'm also not that creative when it comes to costumes, to be honest. Um, so, people... Some costumes are great, and I think they're fun because people put a lot of thought into them. I'm just not creative. I'm one of those guys that's October 30th. Ah, crap, I need a costume. What do I do here? Let me do something quick and easy, and then ends up being a train wreck. So that's my soliloquy on why, at least, you know, Halloween is, is not my favorite holiday. But I know it's not the same thought a lot of people have. So hopefully you enjoyed it. Hopefully you crushed your costume. It was a good time. But we'll keep the Halloween theme going at least for one more day here, right? It's November 2nd. I know, obviously, a lot of people are moving on to uh, Thanksgiving right in a few weeks. Most people have already moved on to Christmas. I won't name any names, but I've seen on social media some people that I know already have a Christmas tree up. November 1st, boom, Christmas tree's up. So Halloween gets skipped over pretty quickly. Thanksgiving is almost, you know, Thanksgiving is close to being marginalized at this point. It is like a one-week holiday. You get maybe Wednesday. You get to Saturday or Sunday. Then it's just Christmas, 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 Christmas. But we're going to keep the Halloween theme, we're going to keep the Halloween spirit going one more day on this Monday. So I'm going to do a, a little trick-or-treat version of NFL playoff contenders. Who's a legitimate playoff contender? Treat. Who's a playoff fraud? Who's not? Who is, a, as a, is in the race now, but by the end of the season, will fade out and will miss the playoffs? Trick. So I'll give you my thoughts. We'll, we'll put a little Halloween music. We'll, we'll try to, you know. Set the mood here. We'll, we'll replay Monster Mash. Maybe we'll, we'll get a few other uh, Halloween themes as we as we move along here. But it's the NFL version of Trick or Treat. Playoff contender or not playoff contender. Which are the Colts? Five and two on the year. Just beat the Lions. To me, they're a playoff treat. Their defense is legitimate. Fourth in defensive DV, or essentially defensive efficiency. They're not allowing a lot of points. They're allowing 19.4 points per game, which is fifth in the NFL. Their defense is getting after the quarterback, getting after offenses, forcing turnovers. They have the third most forced turnovers of 12 in the NFL. They have DeForest Buckner up the middle on their defensive line. That's wreaking havoc. Darius Leonard just returned their great middle linebacker, or 
I guess outside linebacker, we should say, technically. He returned from injury after missing a few games with a groin injury uh, yesterday, and his impact was felt right away. So I really do like the Colts, and I think they are good enough right now, well-constructed enough to be a playoff treat. Now, Phil Rivers, if you listened to the show before, I'm a Colts fan. If you this is the first time listening, first of all, welcome. We appreciate you tuning into the Ryan Hickey Show. But I am a Colts fan. I'm not the biggest Phil Rivers believer. I'm very skeptical. I don't trust him at all. But I'll give Phil Rivers his due. The last two games against the Bengals and against the Lions. So, again, not the best competition. I understand that. But he's thrown for 633 yards, six touchdowns, and one interception. Which is huge because he really hasn't played anywhere near that level before these last two games. So the first five games of the season. So I'll give Phil Rivers so far credit. He's playing well. This defense is playing really well. Well, they're not asking Phil Rivers to do a lot. I would like to see them establish the run a little bit more. But they have a big four-game stretch coming up here. The Ravens visit this Sunday. They go on the road at the Titans. Then the Packers visit, and then they play the Titans again. So three of the four home, these big games are at home, which is big. But this is a massive stretch. Ravens, Titans twice, and Packers. We'll see how legit the Colts are. But I think they are a playoff treat at 5-2. and two. They started 5-2 and two last year, missed the playoffs. I think this year is a little bit different. They are 5-2. and two. They are a playoff treat. How about the Raiders? 4-3, and three, coming off a nice win over the Browns in Cleveland. This is a team I honestly can't figure out. I'm going to say they're a playoff treat. I am, because you look at their wins. They, they have four wins this year. Three of them will come over the Saints, playoff team, maybe win the division. The Chiefs, which if you listened before, I said is still the best team in the NFL. And the Browns, we'll get to them in a little bit here. But the Browns are in playoff position right now. So they have wins over impressive teams. Two of those three were on the road. At Kansas City, at Cleveland. Then they lost to the Patriots, which is looking worse and worse and worse now because the Patriots are just completely sinking. And that was really, honestly, their first... Their first... Um, we'll, put the, we'll put the hour-long version. Uh, we, have a, we have an ad here. I apologize. This is really breaking up the, the, the flow. I, I do apologize. But I'm the board operator. I'm the producer. I'm the host. I'm trying to do all-in-one here. I'm trying to keep it entertaining. I apologize for this quick, quick brief interruption. But YouTube is getting a lot... A lot better and a lot smarter with these damn ads. Can't just skip over them anymore. Now you actually got to watch the ads. Learned about this a, a few weeks ago. But all right, now we're back. So, like I was saying, hope you like Monster Mash. It's coming a lot. But the Raiders are a team that I, I just can't figure out, but I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt for this reason. Their offense to me is competent enough that they'll make the playoffs. I like Derek Carr. I think John Gruden has proved through the two plus years that he's been in Oakland slash Las Vegas that he knows and can call a good game. He can put offenses in positions to succeed. Now, their defense is the one that's scary. Right? They are a total trick because they are just terrible. Allowing the second most points per game entering this past week. Now, to be fair, they just allowed six to the Browns. And they allowed the fifth most passing yards per game in the NFL, but held Baker just 122. So the defense doesn't need to do a lot in order to be successful because I think his offense can score points. So this defense can just... Go from one of the worst in the league to just bad. I think the offense, I trust Derek Carr enough. I like Josh Jacobs. Again, Henry Ruggs is fitting in nice. And I, I trust John Gruden to put these players in positions to succeed. To where I think they'll make the playoffs if they just bring their defensive, bring the defense up a notch from, again, one of the worst in the league, Cowboys-esque, to just bad. That's all. You're not, it's not a big jump. That's all. 
So, so far, the Colts at 5-2 and two have a playoff treat. The Raiders 4-3 and three have a playoff treat. The Browns, the team that just lost to the Raiders at home, they are 5-3. and three. To me, they're also a playoff treat. I'm not going to panic over one bad game. This is kind of the Browns' MO this entire year. But what I like and want to buy into the Browns is I think the system that Kevin Stefanski has brought in, coming from Minnesota, now going to Cleveland, running the ball a lot, having Baker Mayfield come off play action, I think that fits the personnel really well in Cleveland. They're running the ball and having a ton of success doing it. They're fifth in the NFL. They're rushing for 150 yards per game. So their offensive mindset and their philosophy is we're going to establish the run first, and from there, let Baker Mayfield play off that. When defense are closing the box, when their defenses are trying to load up to stop the run, Baker Mayfield can have success going off play action and throwing the ball deep. Obviously, no OBJ hurts. But they still have some great tight ends. I like Jarvis Landry. had a bad game yesterday, dropping a few balls, but he's still a reliable def- uh, a receiver. I like Donovan Peoples-Jones. I think he'll, he'll fit in nice as his offense continues to grow, as he continues to get more playing time. And not to mention, you look at, you know, yeah, I like the philosophy that they run. They're 5-3. and three. Look at the schedule that the Browns still have remaining. They still play the Texans. They still play the Eagles. They still have the Jaguars, the Jets, and the Giants. The Browns have already shown they're a good enough team to beat the bad teams. So the Jets, gimme win. Giants, gimme win. Jaguars are gimme win. You sh- you're still better than you should be the Texans and the Eagles. Like that's five. That should be five wins on their schedule. That's ten wins. You're in the playoffs. Because the Browns, again, they're one of these teams where I understand they lost to the Raiders. I think the Raiders are still a playoff team. you got to be kidding me. I mean, honestly, I just watched two ads, and now they're already throwing ads in here. I apologize. We're back. This damn YouTube. i got to figure out something that's better than YouTube. I apologize. But we are back here. YouTube be damned. We're trying to have a spooky, spooky segment here. Don't need YouTube throwing it off. Like I said, the Browns are a good enough team to beat the bad teams. Texans, Eagles, Jaguars, Jets, and Giants are bad teams. That should be 10 wins. They're in the playoffs. Let's go to the NFC here. We'll go back and forth because there's still a few AFC teams left. We'll go to the Rams. Rams are 5-3, and three, coming off a tough loss to the Dolphins yesterday. This is similar. The Rams, to me, are the NFC version of the Raiders. Tough to figure this team out. They have some impressive performances, then they have some bad stinkers. So, 5-3, and three, like I just said, I'm not ready because you look at their wins. There is an alarming stat here, an alarming trend here. The Rams' five wins this season are against the NFC East. They beat all four NFC East teams. They beat the Cowboys, the Washington football team, the Eagles, and the Giants. And their other win was against the Bears. Not exactly impressive wins. Not exactly wins that kind of get you feeling good that they can beat the better teams in the league. But similar to the Browns, I'm buying into the system. I think Sean McVay's system of running the ball, running, 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 having success running the ball, having Jair Goff play off that, it works. Didn't work yesterday. Miami has a great, great defense. We'll get to that in a second here, but Miami's defense, maybe the most underrated defense that we've seen in a long, long time. I'll show you a stat in just a second here about the Miami defense that I had zero clue. No one's talking, literally no one. I say no one talking about it. No one is talking about this stat. We'll tell you in a second here. But the Rams defense has been very good. They're good. They're one of the best in the league. Don't allow a lot of points per game. And to be honest, when you look at the landscape of the NFC, their biggest competition for the Rams, right? Because you think the Cardinals are going to be a playoff team at 5-2. I'm feeling good about them. 
And then you got to think um, also the loser of the division between the Buccaneers and the Saints. Whoever wins the division, that other team is going to be in the playoffs. So I think the NFC South will get two teams in. I think the NFC West will get the rest of the teams. So look at the biggest competition for the Rams. If you say the Cardinals are in, if you say either the, the Buccaneers or the Saints are in. The biggest competition for that last playoff spot is going to be the Bears and the 49ers. I'm not going to give you, you know, sell my uh, bill of goods right now because I actually have both on these lists as well. I like the Rams at the best of those three teams. If it's the Bears, the 49ers, and the Rams to get one playoff spot, I trust the Rams the most. So they're a treat to me. So Rams are a treat at 5-3. and three. Browns are a treat at 5-3. and three. Raiders and Colts also both playoff treats. Four for four in terms of playoff treats. Teams I think that are legitimate playoff contenders that will make the playoffs. Let's go to a trick. This team's coming off a win. Four and three for the first time in the Brian Flores era. They were over 500, and that is the Miami Dolphins. I mean, they're right there. They are just a half game out of a playoff spot. And that stat I just told you about, I want to tell you, that no one's talking about that I couldn't believe. The Miami Dolphins are leading the league defensively in terms of points per game allowed. They're allowing just 18.6 points per game. Better than the Pittsburgh Steelers. Better than the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Better than the Chicago Bears. Any great defense in the league this year. No one has allowed less points per game than the Miami Dolphins this year. Which is just wild because no one talks about the Dolphins at all when it comes to defense. It was Ryan Fitzpatrick, how well he's playing. Then it was benching him, and now it's all about Tua. The defense has barely gotten a mention. They're not even a thought in many people's brains. But this is a great defense. We saw it yesterday. That's the thing. If you watch for Tua, you accidentally walked your way into realizing how good this Dolphins defense is. They're all over Jared Goff. Two fumbles, two interceptions. One of them was returned for a touchdown. They had a punt return for a touchdown. This is a team that is really good and starting to really get well-rounded. My issue and why I think the Dolphins are a trick, though, when it comes to the playoffs this year, I still think they're one year away. I'll get into more of my thoughts with Tua's debut to end the show at 1040. But to me, this is a year where you get Tua's feet wet, you get him comfortable with the speed of the NFL game, and next year is when you turn it loose, when you start thinking playoffs. Because I don't really know so far this year that the offense will be consistent enough and dynamic enough to make the playoffs. Now, I understand they kind of eased Tua into it yesterday. So they weren't asking him to do too much. The play calling really wasn't extravagant or, or potent. Just getting the ball out quick. But I don't think that the offense will be dynamic enough to be able to lead this Dolphins team to the playoffs. So I'm going to say Dolphins at 4-3. and three. I love what they're doing. I love what they're building. I think they're one year away. And 2020 is the year, 2021, excuse me, is the year for them. 2020, a little too early, I'm going to say they are a playoff trick. Let's go to the 49ers. Let's go out west here. Four and four. Think about this when you look at the NFC East. The Eagles are leading that division at three, four, and one. The San Francisco 49ers are four and four after they fell to the Seahawks yesterday. They're in last place. Three, four, and ones in first place in one division. The other division, four and four, is last place. But with that said, I think the 49ers this year are a playoff trick. To me, it's not about the scheme. It's not about the talent they have. It's just they don't have enough bodies, enough healthy bodies to make a run. They're too banged up to me. Obviously, they're without Nick Bosa for the year towards ACL early on against the Jets. D. Ford hasn't played, I believe, since week two with the back injury. So he's been out for a while. Raheem Mostert was on IR in that one game where it felt like every 49ers player left with an injury against the Jets. Richard Sherman has been on IR. Then just yesterday, you had Jimmy G. Lee with an ankle injury against the Seahawks. You had George Kittle leave with a foot injury. 
We haven't gotten any update at, at the moment, at least about severity, but both couldn't return to the game. But they play hard. I give the 49ers a lot of credit. They play hard. They just had two back-to-back -back impressive wins over the Rams and over the Patriots. I love Kyle Shanahan as a head coach. I do. But to me, they're just too banged up to make the playoffs. And that NFC West division, because it's a meat grinder, because there's no easy victories there you can kind of make up some ground with. I think just the injuries and the tough schedule to me are, is the reason why the 49ers are a playoff trick this year, and I don't think they'll make the playoffs. So we'll finish out with the Bears. Five and three. Lose just yesterday to the Saints in overtime. The record's nice. They're just five and one two weeks ago. Now, obviously lose two games in a row, five and three. I don't trust their offense to be good enough, and that's why to me they are a playoff trick. Because neither Foles nor Mitchell Trubisky, whoever you put it in under center, has been consistent. They're the fifth worst points per game in the NFL on offense at 20.1. One game over scoring over 30 points, and that was when Mitch Trubisky started the game. Nick Foles finished it against a Falcons team. As we've seen, loves giving up points, loves blowing leads. What's scary is that not only can neither Trubisky or Foles win the game with their arm consistently, the Bears can't even put them in positions to succeed because their running game is putrid. It is god-awful. Second-worst rushing team in the NFL. I like David Montgomery. I am not. I don't think he's getting asked or being put in position to succeed, I should say, and his offensive line just can't block over many holes. Not much creativity when it comes to Matt Nagy in terms of scheming run plays that work. I look at what Kyle Shanahan can do, get a lot of success no matter who's in the backfield. So this defense is legit for Chicago, but the offense, to me, hard no. They are a massive trick. They won't score enough to keep the or to win them games and to me that's why the bears at five and three are a playoff trick so the bears are a playoff trick the 49ers are a trick the dolphins are a trick for my playoff treats rams browns raiders and colts so let's get your thoughts here as we keep the halloween theme going at least for one more day who is a playoff treat in your mind who is a playoff trick in your mind it could be a team i listed yeah i went to the colts raiders browns rams dolphins 49ers and Bears. It could be a team I left off. Maybe there's a team in your mind that I'm not giving enough respect to even put in this conversation. And you think they're a legitimate team that will turn around and make the playoffs. So I'm curious your thoughts. Who's a playoff treat? Who's a playoff trick? We'll get those thoughts on the Ronnie Key Show returns. And when we return, it's 1020. It's time for quick hits. We'll go around the league, including my thoughts on the worst and dumbest thing you can do on an NFL field. And, and we have audio of a salty Bill Belichick. You don't want to miss it. It is the Ronnie Key Show right here. On the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show. Right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And we are back here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Taking you until 11 a.m. Eastern. We just finished off playoff trick. Or treat which team is a playoff treat, a real playoff contender, which is a playoff trick, a, a team that I think will fall short. They're in the mix now, but I don't think will uh, will come through in the end. My guy CJ DeSimone, first of all, before I get to CJ's question, he writes on Facebook. If you're a Jets fan, if you're an NFL fan, CJ hosts a great show right here on the Worldwide Sports Network. So it's, that's why it's important you follow us on Twitter at WWSR underscore radio. Like us on Facebook, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. That way you can, you can download the app, WWSRN and iOS, Worldwide Sports Radio Network on Android. And you never miss any of the shows that we do. And CJ hosts a great show, a Jets-specific show, every Sunday night at 7 a.m. Eastern. 
reacting to the to the game that day. Unfortunately for CJ and the crew, it's been a lot of negative this year. But every single Sunday night, you can kind of relax, unwind, and listen to CJ and the crew. 7 a.m. Eastern, Jets-specific podcast. You won't miss if you're a Jets fan. Great informational stuff. CJ writes in, do, the, do you see the Dolphins making a run at a wild card spot, or is it too early? For me, I have it as a playoff trick. I like what they're doing. I really like what Brian Flores is building in Miami. To me, they're a year away. I think right now when you play two of this year, especially watching them yesterday, watch how they called the game. Watch how they basically put them in positions to succeed by calling quick throws, um, getting the ball out of his hand quick, and just not basically allowing that Rams pass rush to get to him. I think they're easing him in. I think that's what the season's going to be. Each week, ramp it up a little more, a little more, a little more. That way, two is not overwhelmed. To look to control yesterday, I'll get to more of this in, to end the show here. It's about 10 minutes or so. But I think this year, the rest of the year, the offense is going to be kind of easing Tua into it, slowly building him up. So that's why I think I'm not, I'm not buying into the offense of the Dolphins, making enough plays consistently to get them in the playoff discussion. So I think they're a playoff trick, but I think uh, next year's the year. 2021, if they can get this thing built up, you're going to have a high draft pick with the Texans. So you can, you can draft, you know, you have a high draft pick with the Texans because they have the Texans' first overall pick in the first round and second round pick as well. You're going to get two impact players right away to help, you know, help build this team up. I think the Dolphins are really sitting pretty for a nice 2021 playoff run. And do you see the Jets getting Trevor Lawrence? That is an interesting discussion. I think the Jets will end up getting Trevor Lawrence. Now, I said just a few minutes ago, I think they should seriously look into uh, drafting Justin Fields because I think Justin Fields deserves to be in that conversation of going number one overall. I think for what it sounds like, the Jets have their mindset already on drafting Trevor Lawrence. And not to mention, as long as Trevor Lawrence accepts going there, which I've advised maybe not the best thing to do if you're Trevor Lawrence in your career, but if he has no bones about going to New York and playing for the Jets, I think Trevor Lawrence would be in the green and white when it comes to the 2021 season starting. So, I appreciate CJ. First of all, I appreciate you listening, man. Again, CJ hosts a great Jet show right here on the Worldwide Sports Network every Sunday night at 7 a.m. Eastern. Listen, you get educated if you're not a Jets fan. It's very entertaining, very cathartic if you're a fan of the Jets this year because obviously it has not gone well. But listen to CJ again every Sunday night at 7 a.m. Eastern right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. So, as we do every single Monday morning after the NFL uh, Sunday action. It is time for quick hits going around the NFL, hitting on all the thoughts we really couldn't get into um, or haven't really dove deeper into. We'll start with the Los Angeles Chargers. And just more of a question. How the hell do the Chargers continue to choke away big leads? They're the Falcons of the West, and I don't, I just don't understand it. Yesterday, they were leading the Broncos 24-3. to 24-3 in the second half. Not in the first quarter where there's plenty of time to come back. 24-3 in the second half. And they lost that game on a last-second touchdown by Drew Locke to my guy, KJ Hamler, out of Penn State. What's up, KJ? But now, so that not only is it bad enough, right, where they, they blow a 24-3 lead to the Broncos, the last four games, the Chargers have had at least a 16-point lead. So the last four times they've had a 16-point lead at one point in the game, they are 1-3 in, in those games. 1-3! in three. 
In the last four games, they've held at least a 16-point lead. Do you know how hard that is to do? We get on the Falcons all the time about their just ability to choke. Starting from 23 of the Super Bowl, and it just has gone year after year after year. The Chargers have done so, but on a less frequent level than the Falcons. Maybe because they're on the West Coast, and because the Chargers are a smaller fan base, you don't give them as much attention as they deserve for this. But I mean, one in three, the last four games, you had a 16 point lead. They've blown two, two 17 point leads this, this season alone to the Buccaneers and to the Saints. And they blew a 21 point lead, which was just talked about happening yesterday in Denver. According to the Elias Sports Bureau, the Los Angeles Chargers are the first team in NFL history, 101 years, to lose three consecutive games with 17 point leads. Again, I'll ask the question. How is this possible? I have no clue. I don't get it. And honestly, looking at this Chargers team, it's getting to the point, and I like Anthony Lynn, it's getting to the point where the Chargers might have to follow the Falcons' lead. Clean house. You need a restart, because this is a problem that's plagued this Chargers team for a long time. I think it might be in the psyche of the Chargers, similar to what I think it's in the psyche of the Falcons, where it's like a here-we-go-again, how are we going to lose this game? And all of a sudden, you're starting to play not to lose instead of trying to play to win the game. They might have to clean house in order to try to reverse the tide, reverse the curse, because, man, the Chargers are the West Coast version of the Atlanta Falcons. That's not a good thing. Did you miss it yesterday? Did you see yesterday? It was a fight. And not just any fight. This was the weirdest, wackiest, dumbest fight I've ever seen in my 26 years on this earth in the NFL. So it came between the Bears and the Saints. So C.J. Gardner-Johnson is a defensive back on the Saints. Video shows that earlier in the game, he looked like poked one of the Bears receivers, Anthony Miller, in the face. Right? They were jawing back and forth, exchanged some pleasantries, I'm sure. C.J. Gardner-Johnson at one point put his finger through the face mask of Anthony Miller, basically poked him, looked like in the cheek, trying to send a message or trying to get in his head. A few plays later, a different Bears receiver, his name is Jafon Wims, comes over and does the dumbest thing you could possibly do on a football field. So he comes up from behind C.J. Gardner-Johnson. Looks to, it looks like he first tries to snatch his chain, which is we've seen that really becoming more of a thing now in the NFL, especially between wide receivers and defensive backs. They try to, if you're wearing a chain, you know, maybe it's hanging out, you try to snatch it, you try to break the chain. So it looks like Wims first came from behind on Gardner-Johnson, tried to snatch a chain. Didn't get it. So instead then, when he missed getting the chain, he reverted to the only thing he thought possibly you can do from there. He punched C.J. Gardner-Johnson in the helmet, which is the dumbest thing you could possibly do on a football field for a few reasons. Number one, these helmets now are created to take as much impact as possible. They are designed, right? Obviously keep the head safe, keep the brain safe, but prevent head trauma. So they are built to withstand collisions from players running as hard as they can at each other and a helmet hitting a helmet. So if you think a, a, a fist, if you're going to punch someone in the helmet and that's going to injure them somehow, be a bigger blow than someone hitting you in the helmet with someone else's helmet, you're out of your mind. That's like, you know, a pillow. Someone like, you know, if you put, I'm trying to think of a good analogy here, it's 
can't, if you're trying to punch them with a helmet on, it's like you're just punching a pillow. You're not doing anything. Or it's like a pillow, you know, if you're in a pillow fight, you get whacked to the pillow. It doesn't hurt. So if you're sitting at Garger Johnson, you get punched in the, in the helmet. Not once. Because Wims punched him in the helmet once. To CJ Gardner's credit, I'm not sure if it was just shock because you rarely see punches thrown in the NFL. Right? We see skirmishes. We see pushing and shoving. People grab each other's face masks. There's different ways to kind of get your message across. You rarely see someone cock back and throw a punch, a real punch at someone's helmet. So I'm not sure if it was just shock because CJ Gardner Johnson didn't really, like, am I really just getting punched in the head right now? Or it was just discipline because he saw the referees right there and knew that this guy's about to get ejected. If I throw a punch back, I'm also going to get ejected. So he stood there and took one punch. Wims, when he saw him just stood there and take one punch, Wims said, you know what? Screw it. I'm punching you again. Punches him again in the helmet. And that was before then a few other teammates joined in. The referees saw it. They threw flags. Wims was ejected. But this is just not only the wildest thing I saw because it almost, it was a sucker punch. I didn't see it live. I got an update saying this is, you know, Javon Wims sucker punches a player. I'm like, how did, in the NFL, it's really hard to sucker punch someone. And you see, came up from behind, wasn't expecting it, boom, one punch, didn't, refl- uh, didn't react, boom, here's another punch. He gets ejected. We tr- I tried to look post-game, no one really addressed the exact situation as to why punches were thrown. And why Wims basically tried to jump him, essentially, on the football field. And it's interesting, because now you, you kind of look in, dive a little deeper. This is not the first time C.J. Gardner-Johnson has been punched. This year, if you go back to the Michael Thomas story, remember a few weeks ago, Michael Thomas was supposed to be active for, I believe it was the Monday night game against the Chargers. And then he was inactive, not because of an injury, but because of personal reasons he was being disciplined because it came out he punched C.J. Gardner-Johnson in practice over that week, and he was being punished. So I'm not sure if C.J. Gardner-Johnson is the best trash talker in all the NFL, but he gets under guys' skin so much where they say, screw it, forget the fact that I'm about to break my hand, inflict no damage to you. I'm going to try to punch you in the helmet. And it's only going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. And he did it twice now. First with his own teammate. Now Javon Williams. That was some of the wildest things I've ever seen. If you haven't seen it, hopefully I described it well enough. Go to Twitter and just type in Javon Williams. Because you will see it and you will see just the stupidity of trying to punch someone in the helmet. What that does. It never ever ends up good for the person throwing the punch. I'll tell you that. And again, Wims getting ejected looks looks bad. It looks dumb, and it's just wild. Absolutely wild. Speaking of someone being upset, someone being feisty, someone being salty, Bill Belichick and the Patriots are 2-6. Two 2-6. And six. Two and six. Brady and the Bucks 5-2. Chance to go to 6-2 and two tonight. So they have a chance to have inverted records. Brady's team going up is one of the best in the NFL. Belichick's team trending down is one of the worst in the NFL. And as we know, Bill Belichick has been, honestly, one of my favorite coaches in the NFL because his press conferences have been must-listen to. He doesn't say much, right? I'm going to turn the music down so I can let you guys hear it. But I have a great clip here of Bill Belichick last night answering some questions. The first question, he kicked an onside kick against the Bills yesterday that was recovered by Buffalo. It did not go well. Bill Belichick was asked if he had any regrets about that decision. Here's Bill and a few other questions. We're trying to make a positive play. Uh, and, and what about the decision to um, kick the field goal on third down there at the end of the half? What went into that decision? To ensure the three points. Didn't want to take one more shot at the end zone. 
Say what? Didn't want to take one more shot at the end zone. I uh, felt like it was probably a, a low percentage play. All right, thanks. Next question, Henry McKenna, followed by Dan Roach. Hey, Bill. Um, question, sort of bigger picture. Um, what What do you think's next for you, for your team at the quarterback position? Do you think um, you're going to go with Cam for the rest of the way, or um, do you guys intend to to turn things over to Jarrett, see how he fares? Uh, Cam's our quarterback. So it's been all year. Got it. And um, on that that final offensive play with Newton's fumble, um, how were you kind of feeling after that moment? Um, tight game the whole way, and to have just sort of one fundamental problem at the end. Any any? Can you share sort of where your emotions were at? How do you think we felt, Henry? Thanks. <laughs> That is, so not only is Salty Bill Belichick the best Bill Belichick, I give the reporters a lot of credit because you know what you're getting into when they when they lose a game like this. You you had a game in the grasp, trying to just save your season, right? You go, you possibly can go to three and five and have a chance that you drop to two and six. Season's all but over. And Bill Belichick is asked, what were your emotions watching Cam Newton fumble in the red zone when you're already in the red when you're already in field goal range with a chance to tie it late, and you see him fumble, you lose the game, and now you're two and six? How do you think we felt? And my favorite part of the whole thing—I'm not sure about you guys—my favorite part was the reporter then saying, "Thanks." No, <laughs> I'm not really sure what kind of response he was expecting from Bill Belichick. Like that, I give him credit for asking. He got in over two decades, Bill Belichick. When you ask him, how are you feeling as you're watching a, a play and maybe the play of the year just sink your season, what was going through your head? You think Bill Belichick is going to really tell you it was depressing, it was heartbreaking, my heart goes out to Cam, you know, it was really one of those things to throw Cam out of the bus. He's not going to do that. So to, to try to throw like a, a little trick there to Bill Belichick and then just to get the petty thanks at the end, that was to me the best part. That was too damn funny. Salty Bill is the best Bill. I'm interested because this is obviously, as we know, Bill Belichick press conferences when they are short, when they are very, um, when he is very agitated, when there's a lot of tension after a bad loss or a bad day of practice, he doesn't appreciate the questioning. But we've seen Bill get very short and very frustrated. But usually he gets short, he gets frustrated, he gets upset. But the the record's still good. Like Tom Brady's still there. They're probably at this point ten and three or you know ten and four. And they're upset about some sort of small call that's being talked about. He's 2-6, and six and they're not going to make the playoffs. I think this has the chance, with still a half season to go, we can get some Bill Belichick, hopefully just meltdowns, hopefully just some words, you know. There, there's going to be some tone that he's going to have the rest of the season. I think it's going to be extremely fun for all of us and the other 31 teams that have just Watch the Patriots have success over after success after success. I think it's going to be very interesting to see. I think we can get a lot more Bill Belichick press conferences. Gut tells me this is, won't be the last time in quick hits we will play you a chunk of Bill Belichick postgame. That was the best is yet to come. Well, we'll finish with the Sunday night game here for quick hits. Because yesterday, Eagles do win. Right? They beat the Cowboys 23-19. Another week where it's good Carson Wentz, bad Carson Wentz. And this is really 
I'm, I'm a Carson Wentz defender. If you heard me on the show, I've said it multiple times. I don't think Carson Wentz is the issue in Philadelphia. There's other major issues that are reason why they are underachieving these last few years. But it's another game this season where Carson Wentz makes some incredible throws, incredible plays, incredible drives. Then he follows that up with some just flat-out dumb throws, stupid decisions, confused about the defense has given him, and it puts it, the, the Eagles defense, it puts the entire team in some bad situation. He had a gorgeous throw to Travis Fulgham late in the third quarter to give the Eagles the lead for the first time in the game, or the second time in the game. I should say, give them the lead for good. A great drive. But with that said, he had four turnovers, two interceptions, two fumbles, one in the end zone, which was a play that he, I, I thought, I think he was just trying to throw the ball away, but didn't throw it away out of bounds and just left it in the end zone to where a Cowboys defender came in, intercepted, and got his feet down, toe-tapped the sideline, and got in. It's just, what the hell are you doing? He did this against the Giants a few weeks ago on Thursday night. Just threw it up in the end zone, near the goal line again, in the red zone. Just throws it up, and instead of trying to throw it away, just, I, I'm not sure, like, sometimes I question whether Carson Wentz realizes he's allowed to throw the ball out of bounds. Like, you don't have to keep the ball in bounds and try to get a completion on every single throw. Some of the best plays are just throwing it away and letting it see another down. And he tries to play hero ball too much now towards really hurting the Eagles. He threw another one deep that just overthrew the receiver, almost, you know, threw the ball like the defender was the lead receiver, led him right to the ball. Knee intercepted around the one-yard line. And this is what I mean about Carson Wentz putting the Eagles in positions to fail. Carson Wentz so far this season leads the league in turnovers. The Eagles have played eight games. They're 3-4-1. Carson Wentz in those eight games has 16, 16 turnovers. Five more than Kirk Cousins. Five more than Daniel Jones to lead the league. You can't have your quarterback averaging two turnovers per game when your offense is banged up. When your offensive line is, is missing a lot of their key pieces, obviously as we know the receivers are banged up, they're up and they're down. You can't be doing that. You just I'm sorry, you cannot be doing that. So I will continue to defend Carson Wentz. I like Carson Wentz. He has the talent. He shows you the flashes of being good. He's good enough to win this division, and the Eagles will win this division. He's good enough to lead them to the division crown in the down year. But that's it right now. He's not good enough to lead this team to a playoff win. He's not good enough to lead this team to, you know, a playoff run, let alone a win. Just how about a run? He can't do it. You get the good Carson, you get the bad Carson. Unfortunately, in most games you get both. And that's why the Eagles, again, under 500, but still in first place. But that's, the Eagles, again, will make the playoffs to win the division. They'll win a bad division, but unfortunately, you won't get much more than that if you're an Eagles fan. So that's a quick hit. I'm curious your thoughts, right? Week 8 is in the books. We're halfway through the season. What's your biggest week eight takeaway? What's your biggest takeaway through halfway through the season? On Thursday, I'm going to revisit my preseason selections, right? Division winners, playoff teams. See where we got it right, where we got it wrong, and some big surprise teams, both good and bad. Those are basically ra- roughly about halfway through the season. We'll, re- we'll revisit those on Thursday. But when we come back, to finish off the show, we will discuss Tua Tungavailoa's return, or I should say debut, excuse me, starting debut for the Miami Dolphins. It's a win. Give you my thoughts of what I saw. It is the Reineke Show right here on the World Wide Sports Radio Network. It, it is the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the World Wide Sports Radio Network.
are back here on the Worldwide Sports Radio. Right it is the Ryan Hicker Show taking you for the next 10 minutes to 11 a.m. Hopefully, if you're listening to the show on this Monday, hopefully you're enjoying it. We're getting your week start off on the right note. That's all we can do. That's all we try to succeed for here. As we roll on here every Monday and every Thursday right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. So as we finish off the show, it was officially to a time in Miami. Last week was announced that the Dolphins are going to make their move, go to Tua Tungavaloa as their starting quarterback. Bench Ryan Fitzpatrick, who's played pretty well to his credit the last two games in a row. Both big wins, blowout victories. And now the Dolphins were sitting at 3-3, three and three, do be, defeat the Rams yesterday in 2017, now 4-3 and three in the season. Made a move, interesting announced it during the bye week, and we finally saw the emergence of Tua in a Dolphins uniform. And I'll say this, the stats weren't, I mean, stats aren't anything to write home about. Really not even pretty in that sense. But I was encouraged for a few reasons. And those stats, like I said, Tua went 12-22, 93 passing yards and a touchdown. Under 100 yards passing, 12 completions, one touchdown. Again, nothing, if you look at the stats, not a great debut. Nothing really, you know, earth-shattering. Nothing crazy there. Well, the reason why it was, it was encouraging for me, at least one, was that it proved two was ready for the moment. Watching that game, I rewatched every snap that he had. He looked confident on the field. He looked in control of the offense, which, again, it sounds simple. When you're making your first career start, it's easy to be overwhelmed. The offensive playbook is much more confusing, much more intricate than it was in college. You're playing with a lesser talented roster than you did with Alabama, right? I mean, look at all those first-round draft picks. Look at that offense alone. Look who's handing the ball off to. There's an all-star team with Alabama. No offense to the Dolphins. They don't have an all-star caliber offense like he did at Alabama. But he looked in control, made quick, decisive reads, got the ball quickly, which is by design, but still he was able to get the ball. He knew where he was going. He was pretty accurate with his throws. Another big factor, again, if you listen, my biggest concern when it comes to Tua, when it comes to him going um, to the Dolphins, was I was concerned of whether he could take a hit or not. I was concerned, can he sustain, you know, be healthy enough to say, I should say, because coming off that hip injury, going to a team in the Dolphins which struggled to protect the quarterback, they were 30th in ESPN's pass block win rate. I mean, basically, can an offensive lineman hold their block for 2.5 seconds or longer, which is the average time between when you get the snap and when you can throw the ball? That is considered average, you know, for giving quarterback time. They were 30th at 32 in the NFL. And the reason why the sack numbers weren't higher is because Ryan Fitzpatrick got the ball quick. And he's one of those slippery, elusive guys where he got out of a lot of sacks. But he took a big hit early. I believe it was his first drop pack, if I'm not mistaken. Was he took a massive hit, got body slammed, bounced back up, wasn't intimidated, wasn't rattled, and looked pretty good. He looked pretty, pretty good, which to me, that's really the only bar you should have for the Dolphins going forward after Tua's debut. And Tua, after the game, talked about it. his excitement coming and playing in his first NFL game. It was fun um, just being able to go out there and, and play a full 60-minute game now, being that it's, it was my first start in the NFL. I mean, we, we, we really faced a, a really good defense. Um, I'm proud of what we've got to do offensively, um, but I do know that there's still a lot of things we need to correct. He's right. A lot of work to do. Played a very good defense in the Rams. It's a tough way to start your NFL career. But again, because I think he looked decisive, he looked confident, he looked in control. So the numbers not being there, again, he didn't even throw for 100 yards. 
But he took what the defense gave him, and he did what he was asked. So that's why I'm encouraged, one. And two, I was also encouraged to see the way the game was called. Right? They, they called a lot of rollouts, get him out of the pocket, trying to get away from, uh, away from Aaron Donald, away from that pass rush of the Rams. So he threw the ball on the run. A lot of quick throws, get the ball, boom, throw it right away, quick slants, curls, outs. So at least the Dolphins also realized we got to keep this guy healthy. We got to keep this guy bright. So they didn't panic, which I really liked. And to Brian Flores' credit, he's never panicked since he got to Miami since day one. He's built a culture. He has a plan that he's sticking to. He's not deviating from it. And I like that a lot because I feel like it's easy with the way quarterback expectations have risen, with the way that we want some immediate success. Looking at this just past draft class, we look at Joe Burrow, the success he's having despite just getting crushed by an offensive line. That is putrid. Look at the success Justin Herbert is having, airing it out, throwing the ball down the field, recording 300-yard game after 300-yard game. I think it's easy if you're the Dolphins, if you're Brian Flores, if you are um, Chris Greer, their general manager, to start to get panicked and concerned that, hey, Burrow is looking like he's the real deal in Cincinnati. Justin Herbert is looking like he's the real deal in Los Angeles, what do we have with Tua? I want to see Tua be on that same level as Herbert and be on that same level as Burrow. So what are we going to do? We're going to put him in there. We're going to throw the ball deep, make these tough throws, have some deep dropbacks, hold the ball, which is not, at least so far, at least a recipe for success. So they kept it simple, didn't ask him to do too much, and in doing so, put him in position to succeed, which I think, again, Tua did yesterday. I think it's even more impressive and more encouraging when you see the way the game was called and how Tua played was that you had a support yesterday from Adam Schefter coming out early on Sunday morning saying that part of the motivation for the Dolphins in starting Tua after the bye, despite the fact that Ryan Fitzpatrick, Ryan Fitzpatrick excuse me, was playing well, had this team in position to make the playoffs. I mean, they're 4-3. and three. They're right on the edge of the playoffs. But Fitzpatrick was playing some of the best football of his career. They're back to 500. Maybe all of a sudden you put Tua on the bench a little bit longer than you want. Try to make the playoffs. Try to make a run and capitalize on this great play. Well, Schefter was reporting that part of the motivation of, of playing Tua now was to see what they have, see what kind of QB he is, because if not, if they are concerned, if they, if they see flaws, if they are spooked, they have that Texans first-round draft pick. The Texans have one win. They also have the Texans' second-round draft pick, which is also going to be very high. The, the Dolphins have a ton of picks this upcoming draft where, you know what, maybe they'll package a few, trade up, try to get Justin Fields. Maybe try to get Trey Lance. So despite the numbers not being sexy, I think it's a really good, successful debut for two because, again, if that is true, the Dolphins want to see what they have from him. Want to see maybe should we to think about, if he doesn't play well, drafting another quarterback this year with all the assets we have in the draft. They didn't put too much on his plate. They didn't ask him to do too much. They didn't put him in positions to make it hard for him to succeed, which I think is super encouraging for Tua, super encouraging for this Dolphins offense. So again, the numbers weren't sexy. He had 93 yards and a touchdown. But in that short spurt, in that limited action he had, I was impressed. I thought the Dolphins were handling this the right way. I thought it was a very successful debut for the Dolphins as they beat the Rams again, mostly because of special teams and defense. But they do beat the Rams 20-17, now 4-3 and three in the season. Good to see, and I'm excited to see Tua continue to develop, continue to grow over these next nine games. That's going to do it for this edition of the Ryan Hickey Show. Really do appreciate everyone who, who, who listened, who uh, wrote it on Facebook, wrote it on social media. We hope to make, obviously, your Monday 
um, as enjoyable as possible, get off to the right start. And we do appreciate you giving us a few minutes here on the Worldwide Sports Network to do so. Be remiss to say it is obviously Monday. The election is tomorrow. No matter which side you want to vote, just vote. You know, get your voice heard one or another. I know it's corny to say, but hey, get your vote and I'm going to vote. Just do your part. Be an American. Get your voice heard. It doesn't matter which way you're leaning. Just vote. Be involved. Be a part of this election and get your voice heard. So that's going to do it for this edition of the Ryan Hickey Show. Enjoy the rest of your week. Enjoy the game tonight. Buccaneers and Giants should be a good one. We have a lot to get to on Thursday. It'll be a lot of fun. A very, very fun show. So we'll do it all on Thursday. Enjoy the rest of your week. And we'll talk to you on Thursday right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. Radio Network.